Hello, and welcome to this week's message from Oslo International Church. Today we're continuing on with our sermon series uh, on the book of Philippians called Letters from Lockdown. And our reading today is from chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. It reads, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as the son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister in my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. So these last few weeks, we've been in this series called Letters from Lockdown, and we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. Last week, I talked about the way that in the beginning of chapter two, Paul presents Christ, his birth, life, death, and resurrection as a model for the kind of self-giving love that gives joy and comfort in the midst of our troubles. If we take up this strategy for living, we will put the interests of others before our own. We will work without grumbling or disputing. We will be like lights shining in a dark world. This week, we're continuing through chapter two with these notes on Timothy and Epaphroditus. At first, they seem a bit out of place here when you're reading through the text. These sort of practical issues of comings and goings are often at the beginning or the end of letters. And in the middle, they kind of feel like a departure from the topic at hand. Why does he talk about the comings and goings of these two men here and now? What, what do their travel plans have to do with this theological letter? The simplest answer, I think, uh, is also the most reliable, that they're further examples of the f- kind of self-giving love that Paul is urging the Philippians to imitate. Christ was the prime example. Paul also showed them how these things worked out in his own life, in his own ministry. And now he brings in Timothy and Epaphroditus to drive home what uh, this kind of theoretical discussion looks like in flesh and blood. These are people they know, people who are carrying messages and goods back and forth between Paul in Rome and the church in Philippi people whose own lives are arguments for doing things the way Jesus taught and modeled. So first, Paul talks about Timothy. And Timothy is one of the most frequently mentioned figures in the New Testament. Paul talks about him often as someone who goes with him around the world, someone who he sends on his behalf to visit the churches they've established, someone that Paul trusts entirely, and who is training up to be a shepherd of Christ's flock. In the book of Acts, Timothy joins Paul for the first time 
right after Paul parts ways with his friend Barnabas, shortly following the Council of Jerusalem. Now, Paul was on a mission to deliver the decision of the Council of Jerusalem uh, about the status of Gentile believers to the churches he'd already established. And he brings this young man with him whose father was a Gentile and whose mother was a Jew. Paul has other traveling companions, but Timothy seems to have a special place in his heart and becomes a sort of adopted son. After they'd visited all of these churches, which had already been established, they moved on to the region of Macedonia, to the city of Philippi. Philippi was probably the first new church community that Timothy helped found. And I think it's not out of place to suppose that they had a special significance for him. Here, as elsewhere throughout the New Testament, Timothy is the son that Paul sends when he wishes he could go himself. When the situation gets dangerous because of something Paul has said or done, Timothy is the one who stays behind and keeps up his work. When Paul is under arrest, Timothy is the one who visits their friends in his place. He represents Paul's presence the way Jesus as the son represents the father's presence, or the way the crown prince of a nation might represent the king. Paul describes him by saying, I have no one else like him. In what sense? Paul has other people around him. People coming and going with messages, notaries taking down his letters that he's dictating orally, and scribes making copies to send abroad. In the ancient world, letter writing is not something that you could do with yourself in a pad and paper. It was a communal activity. People like Luke writing his histories and the Christian community that already lived in Rome and visited him. He's not free, he's still a prisoner, but he's not in solitary confinement either. So what makes Timothy so special? Timothy is genuinely concerned with others above himself. His true desire is for the well-being of the community in the Church of Philippi, which he loves as Christ does. He is someone with no personal agenda, no selfish ambition, not working any angle. He just loves them. And that makes him like no one else, and it earns him Paul's total trust. Then we come to Epaphroditus. We learn at the end of this letter that the church in Philippi had sent Epaphroditus with material forms of support for Paul during his imprisonment. They had been making sure he had what he needed ever since he left Philippi. They'd been sponsoring his well-being and his mission and keeping in close contact. They were like the top contributors on his Patreon account. Probably, the church in Philippi was able to provide this kind of support because the leading member of that church was a woman named Lydia, and she was a dealer in purple goods, which means she was a fairly well-off merchant. In the ancient world, purple cloth was a luxury good for the elite, and the means of its production were a closely guarded secret. The church in Philippi was born when Lydia heard the message of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and her whole household was baptized. As more people became believers, her home became their meeting place, and she seems to have continued as the leader of that community for some time. Lydia was one of many prominent women who held leadership in the early church. So Lydia and the church in Philippi had the material means to make sure Paul had food to eat and clothes on his back. 
And this was very important for someone who was imprisoned the way that Paul was. Unlike modern, long-term, systematic prison systems, you were not entitled to three meals a day and clothes to wear. Even if he was under a mild form of house arrest, a prisoner still needed someone on the outside looking after their material well-being. Paul had that in the Philippians. They had his back in a very tangible, material, financial way. And Epaphroditus was sent out from Philippi with their gifts for Paul. Evidently got sick somewhere along the way and really gave them all a scare. Paul says he nearly died from his illness, but recovered. And Paul points to Epaphroditus as someone who serves without grumbling or disputing, blameless, self-giving, humbly serving as Christ did. But he ends this paragraph on Epaphroditus by saying something very odd. He says he risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What was lacking? What was lacking in the service the Philippians were doing for Paul? The phrase here, to complete what was lacking, is actually the same phrase that Paul uses in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 24, where he says that he is filling up in his own flesh what is lacking in regard to the afflictions of Christ. And in that passage, Paul is not implying that Christ did not suffer enough or that Christ's suffering was insufficient to save the world and Paul somehow added to it. He's telling the Colossians that through his own suffering, more people got to witness Christ's suffering in their midst. Christ's love was revealed, his story played out in their presence when Paul suffered. What is lacking in that context is not that Christ's suffering was insufficient, but that it had not yet been physically embodied to them, incarnated to them, revealed to them in a tangible way. Here what was lacking in the service of the Philippians was not that they were not sending enough money or that their letters did not reach him. It was that they could not be present with Paul. Letters could be sent via a sort of postal service. Uh, money could be delivered by other means. Epaphroditus was more than just their delivery boy. He was a beloved member of the church in Philippi, a friend, a little piece of themselves, sent to be with Paul in his time of need. Paul called him a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, and a brother. He completed what was lacking in their service to him by being with him in the flesh, even though the journey nearly killed him. So Timothy and Epaphroditus are Paul's examples of the sort of Christ-modeled, self-giving love that he talks about earlier in chapter 2. A lot of the ways that he uses language are similar in the beginning and the end. They're very clearly doing the things in action that he talks about earlier. Timothy's way of living shows what it means to put the concerns of others above his own, genuinely thinking of their well-being first and putting thoughts of his own, own ambition aside. Epaphroditus' actions show what it means to go about a difficult work without grumbling, without dissension, putting himself in harm's way, even risking his life. The thing they both do is embody in themselves a love to be shared. Timothy is a part of Paul's heart that he sends to the Philippians when he cannot go himself, and Epaphroditus is theirs that they send to Paul in his imprisonment, showing up is their ministry.
I think maybe in the past we've underestimated the importance of showing up, of being mentally, emotionally, and physically present with another person. Especially in a digitized world, we have sometimes forgotten what a visit for tea can do that a WhatsApp group cannot, or what a hug can do that a card cannot. After this last year of COVID restrictions, I don't think we're at risk of taking the physical presence of others for granted anytime soon. We've all learned what it feels like not to have real flesh and blood people with us in our physical space. It's a sort of poverty. Long before COVID, back when Mother Teresa was still alive and active, a reporter asked her where she had seen the greatest poverty and suffering in the world. And she said, in America. Surprised, the reporter asked her to explain herself, and she said, The greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many in the world dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There is a hunger for love, as there is a hunger for God. People have suffered from this poverty of loneliness, this poverty of the spirit, so acutely in the last year. For some people, it was a familiar feeling that was compounded, pushing them to their limits. For others, it was a new, unwelcome, unbearable strain. Most people have had to find ways to cope, and nobody has been unaffected. We would all love to have a Timothy or an Epaphroditus figure show up at our door with messages from our loved ones, a basket of gifts and goodies, a check covering next month's rent, and most importantly, a hug. We'd invite them to come in, stay a while, have a coffee, just be in our space for as long as they can. I'm not going to advise anybody to go against the health measures put in place by local authorities. That is not where this is going. But I do want to encourage you to reflect on a couple of things. One is the number of Epaphroditus's out there right now. There are so many people who have continued physically showing up in care for others, even at the risk of their own health. Healthcare workers, long-term care providers, homeless shelter operators, emergency responders, delivery men and women, pastors and priests, teachers, childcare providers, and the list goes on. They have so many things they could complain about right now, and they deserve our continued acknowledgement and our thanks. We need to find ways to encourage these people who are busy being our love for us, often at their own risk. Another thing to reflect on is your own importance as a Timothy, as an embodiment of someone else's love, of Christ's love. Maybe you've reflected a lot on how important other people are to you and how much you miss them. Also reflect on how much you matter to others, how much your texts mean, how much your Zoom calls mean, how much others are longing for you to show up in person when it's safe to do so, how much they miss having your living, breathing self in the room with them. 
I've been reading a lot recently about how many people are nervous about re-entering society. How many people are unsure what they will do with themselves when they and their friends are vaccinated? It's so important to the world that you choose to show up when you can, that you bring love into the lives of others who are silently waiting for a knock on their door. You are a crucial, needed piece of the world of others. When it is safe for you to show up in love, show up. I'd like to end by inviting you to pray with me a slightly shortened version of a prayer by St. Patrick, often called his breastplate. This prayer is mainly a prayer for personal protection against danger and the dark forces of this world, but it's also a kind of self-commissioning. It is a prayer for calling on the protection of God so that we can go be Christ's loving presence ourselves in a dangerous world. It is not a magic corona-deflecting spell, so don't get any crazy ideas. Instead, your body equipped with masks, hand sanitizer, a two-meter ruler, and a vaccine. Use it to equip your soul to be the physical embodiment of Christ's love. Please pray with me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through the strength of the love of cherubim, in the obedience of angels, in the service of archangels, in the hope of resurrection to meet with reward, in the prayers of patriarchs, in the predictions of prophets, in the preaching of apostles, in the faith of confessors, in the innocence of holy virgins, in the deeds of righteous men and women. I arise today through the strength of heaven, the light of sun, the radiance of moon, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, the swiftness of wind, the depth of sea, the stability of earth, the firmness of rock. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look at before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptations of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and anear. I summon today all these powers between me and those evils against every cruel and merciless power that may oppose my body and soul, against the incantations of false prophets, against the black laws of pagandom, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul, Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to me an abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise.
Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Arise and go in peace to love and serve the Lord.